This might come in handy. <laughs> I, I do that more than I should. That's embarrassing. <clears throat> so again, happy Mother's Day to all of you uh, mothers out there. Uh, Mother's Day, man, it really brings a, a bag of mixed emotions um, for uh, a lot of people. In this church alone, uh, we have people who are able to celebrate with their mothers today. Uh, we have mothers who are able to celebrate with their kids. And at the same time, we have people uh, who have lost their mothers, and we have mothers who have lost their kids. And uh, throughout the world, there, there's many pe- there's many. People, ladies wanting, desiring to be a mother, but aren't able to. So today, uh, really, it does bring a bag of mixed emotions. It could bring a deep sense of joy, grief, gratitude, angst, laughter, tears, and much more. Um, And today on Mother's Day, I would just encourage you all to cherish whatever emotion that is or emotions that may be uh, running through uh, your mind and your heart right now um, and cherish those emotions. Those emotions are good, Um, whether joy or uh, sadness or gratitude, laughter, tears, whatever it may be, uh, I would encourage you uh, to cherish those as part of... uh, the wonderful journey of being human, the emotions that God has blessed us with to be able to better experience um, this world. Um, but so I just want to take a moment uh, this morning and uh, to pray for all of our mothers. So if you'll bow with me. Father God, I just thank you for uh, this day. Father, I thank you for all the mothers here in this room. I thank you for their impact, their influence on their kids, their influence on everyone else as well. Father, I pray that you be with all the people who have lost their mothers. I pray that they can look back on those fond memories. They can uh, look forward to your coming resurrection. Father, I pray for all the mothers who have lost children over the years as well. Father, I pray that you help them uh, grieve over their loss of their loved one, their child. Uh, Father, uh, you can sympathize with them in losing your son. And Father, I just pray that you provide them with your comfort and your peace that surpasses surpass all of our understanding. And Father, uh, I just thank you for uh, the beautiful gift of mothers. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And so today, uh, I just want to uh, start off, I want to provide you guys uh, with a dozen fun facts about mothers. Um, and these came from the internet on factretriever.com, so you better believe these are reliable. Um, uh, everything you read on the internet is reliable, right? Yes. A, five for five. I love value. That's my kind of meal right there. I love value. Uh, There you go. Fun fact number one. Mother's Day is the busiest day of the year for restaurants. So maybe you want to join Anita and maybe go for that bang for your buck and and go uh, to Wendy's or wherever. Uh, I know the mother of my son. She doesn't want to go out to eat today. She doesn't like the crowds. Um, And so we're just going to be picking up uh, fast food. Um, And so Mother's Day is the busiest day of the year for restaurants. So keep that in mind if you're going out to eat uh, after church uh, this morning that you're probably going to have to wait 
unless you're smart like uh, ourselves and Anita's family and just going to go to Wendy's or whatever. Um, uh, Fun fact number two, the mother who gives birth to the largest baby on earth is a mother elephant. After enduring 22 months of pregnancy, she gives birth to a blind 200-pound calf. Wow. Karen, you just got done talking about your uh, eight-pound nephew. Here's a 200-pound calf. Bless the elephant mother's uh, hearts. Uh, Bless them. Uh, 22 months. Fun fact number three. uh, The first Mother's Day was on May 10th, 1908, and was founded by Anna Jarvis. Um, And Woodrow Wilson made it a national holiday in 1914. So over 100 years, it's been a national holiday. Um, interesting, interestingly enough, though, Anna Jarvis, the lady who uh, founded it, later uh, regretted that uh, as the, the holiday came commercialized, and she sought to remove it from the calendar. So the same lady who founded it sought to get rid of it. Um, fun fact number four, more phone calls are made on Mother's Day than any other day of the year. So we have some wise children calling their mothers, making sure uh, they are sending their love to their mothers. The shortest interval between two births is 208 days. That's only six and a half months. Uh, Jean Black Bleakley, uh, excuse my pronunciation there, she gave birth to a son on September 3rd, 1999, and then later gave birth to a daughter on March 30th. 2000. Wow, uh, that's back to back. You ain't kidding. Um, uh, there are several instances throughout history where children turned on their mothers. For example, Cleopatra III of Egypt was assassinated by order of her son Ptolemy X. Nero is said to have had uh, his mother murdered as well. Um, so don't follow these examples, uh, children out there. We all have mothers. Um, there's some bad examples uh, in the world. Um, and the hamsters follow this example. While a mother hamsters are cute and furry, they are infamous baby eaters. Indeed, first-time hamster moms may eat their babies if they feel threat- threatened by them, if their babies are undersized or abnormal, or if they feel like they need extra nutrients after giving birth. <laughs> Wow, hamsters give off a deceiving uh, persona there. Watch out for mother hamsters. Um, A mother koala, on the other hand, will feed her baby her own feces. Baby koalas, or joeys, haven't developed the intestinal bacteria that help detoxify the highly poisonous eucalyptus leaves, which are koalas' main diet. So there you go. That's another uh, act of motherhood in nature. The, the average age of new moms in the U.S. today is 25 years old versus 21 years old in 1970. Interesting. Uh, fun fact, uh, number 10, the mom with the most kids is Mrs. Fyodor Vasiliev of Russia. She gave birth to, anybody want to guess how many children this woman gave birth to? 21, 50, 69, 69 children between the years 1725 and 1765, bless her heart. (laughs) Uh, And then we also see Americans spend $14.6 billion on gifts on Mother's Day, including $671 million on cards and $1.9 billion on flowers. Wow, uh, people spending uh, a healthy portion there for their mothers. And so uh, today we're not really talking about mothers. I apologize. My wife says, you got to talk about mothers. Even if you're not going to have your series, if you're not going to stop your series for it, you got to talk about mothers. So there you go. We love uh, all you mothers out there. uh, And you can learn some new interesting facts about the mothers of the world. 
But today, we're going to be uh, continuing our series uh, on being a member of God's church. Um, And we've already established who God's church is. God's church is simply the group of people who belong to God. And we've seen uh, what the history of God's church looks like, and we see what's in store in the future for God's church. And then throughout the rest of this series, we're taking a look at the expectations that come along with being a part of God's church. These expectations include praying daily, reading your Bibles, and faithful attendance. And today, we're going to be talking about the expectation of regular giving. Now, I'm going to give a disclaimer this morning. that Talking about giving is uh, one of my least favorite, if not my least favorite, uh, topics to talk about uh, from the pulpit. As uh, there's a negative connotation with preachers uh, talking about giving. And I I understand that. I understand uh, the negative connotation. Um, and, And with that said... I don't like talking about it. I know you guys don't like hearing about it. But the truth of the matter, it's not about what I want to talk about. It's not about what you guys want to hear as well. It's all about what God wants to be spoken. Um, I'm constantly reminded and encouraged um, whenever I have to uh, present something or talk about something that I don't want to talk about, that you guys don't want to listen to. I'm reminded and encouraged by the prophet Jeremiah, who he had a a sad and kind of a harsh message uh, for uh, the people of Judah, and uh, it was a message of judgment. It was a message that he didn't want to be talking about, and it was a message that the people didn't want to hear. They refused to hear it, but ultimately, it was a message that God wanted Jeremiah to speak to the people. And I respect Jeremiah because he understood that and he followed through with it, even though it was, it was not a pretty message um, to be spoken. Um, and so I'm encouraged by that, um, by Jeremiah. As again, talking about giving, talking about uh, how we spend our money, it's not something that I enjoy talking about from the pulpit. And I understand that for most of you, it's probably not something uh, that you want to hear about as well. However, I think it needs to be talked about. I think God wants us to talk about it. I I try to follow God's lead as best as I can. I uh, scour through his scriptures to to try and understand what God wants us to talk about. And I think God wants us to talk about money and giving in the 21st century because of how often it's talked about throughout the scriptures. Guess how many verses talk about Money, wealth, or possessions? Shout out some answers, some guesses. A hundred. That's a good guess. A hundred. Come on, don't be shy, people. Five hundred. Yeah, nine hundred, I think I heard. There are... Nine hundred and one. The price is right, Brian. Two thousand three hundred verses. You're the closest one. Two thousand over two thousand and three hundred verses, according to Wealth with Purpose, that are about money wealth, or possessions in your Bible. I mean, there, there, there's approximately 31,000 verses in the Bible, 31,102. That means about 7% of the verses in the Bible talk about money, wealth, or possessions. That's insane. That's a lot. They, they talk about it a lot throughout his scripture. So even though I don't want to talk about it, even though you guys don't want to hear about it, it's something that needs to be talked about that's clear, that's obvious as how much it's brought up in the scriptures. 
And this is also one of the main topics that Jesus talked about in his ministry. He constantly was talking about money, you know, the greed, serving money, worshiping money. And so it's a topic that needs to be addressed uh, today in the 21st century. So bear with me this morning, uh, even if it uh, may make us all uncomfortable, something that we don't want to talk about. But it's something, again, that needs to be talked about. So we talk about giving in Christian circles. The hotly debated topic in Christian circles is are we today in the year 2021, are we commanded to tithe? I don't know if you guys remember, but two years ago, we, we took a look at uh, this uh, idea of tithing and does it apply uh, to us today. We're going to briefly uh, revisit that. We're going to be taking a look uh, through the scriptures to answer this question. Are we today in the 21st century held to this commandment to tithe? And so we're going to kind of progress through the scriptures in five different passages. The first passage that we're going to take a look at this morning is the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 27. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Leviticus chapter 27, or the passage will be um, behind me as well. Excuse me. So Leviticus chapter 27, uh, verse 30 reads, Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord." If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. And every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. What shall not differentiate between good or bad, neither shall he make a substitute for it. And if he does substitute for it, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. So here in the book of Leviticus, kind of the conclusion here of the book of Leviticus, it's in the section of the law. It's one of the five books of the law. And here the Israelites, they are commanded to tithe. And a tithe, basically that just means one-tenth. So all that means is that the Israelites, they're commanded to give one-tenth of everything that they have, including uh, their produce, their livestock, everything that they have, they need to give one-tenth to the Lord. That is holy to the Lord. And we're giving it back to God, as we all need to understand that it all belongs to God anyway. So we're talking about giving, regular giving. We have to understand that we're all just giving it back to God as, uh, as stewards of his um, property. And so the, the Israelites, in, during the, the time of the law under uh, the rule, the leadership of Moses, and um, before Jesus, it's clear that they were commanded to give 10%. If they didn't, that was a direct disobedience. The Israelites didn't get 10% of all that they had. They were directly disobeying their God. Now, unfortunately, we see throughout uh, the, the history of the Israelites, we see that they did not follow this command to give 10% to a T. As we see in the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, book of Malachi in chapter 3, we see an example of uh, the Israelites, that were really the people of Judah, not tithing 10%. So Malachi, he was a prophet to the Israelites after the exile. And so after the, the Israelites return from Babylon and they're living in the promised land once again, uh, it reads in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, probably the most uh, well-known verse when it talks about uh, tithing and giving. It reads, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. 
From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes, and I've not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with the curse, for you are robbing me with the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So here God is directly addressing the nation of Judah, the Israelites, and uh, he says that they have turned away from his laws. They turned away from his commandments and his statutes, and God is calling his people to return to me. That, that's a constant theme uh, throughout the prophets. The prophets calling, pleading, begging the people, please return to God. God's pleading to the people to return to him. God says that, hey, you're robbing me, man. You're robbing me. And the people ask, God, how in the world are we robbing you? And God plainly answers in your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with the curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. So here, the, the, the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah at this time, they were not giving the full 10% to God, and they were robbing God. They were robbing God of the stuff that ultimately belonged to him. But God said, bring the full tithe, the full 10% into the storehouse. The storehouse is just where the Israelites stored food for those in need. Um, what the local church uh, fills that need today. And so God says, bring the full tithe. And when you do that, put me to the test. He says, put me to the test. God says, put me to the test. This is the only time in all of scripture where God says, put me to the test. Jesus says in the New Testament, don't, don't put our Heavenly Father to the test. But the one time in all the scriptures that God says, put me to the test, is here in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, in regards to the tithe. Where God says, if you bring me that full tenth, that full tithe, then put me to the test. I will open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So God is telling his people, his chosen people, his chosen nation, he says, put me to the test, man. If you give me 10% of all that you have, trust me, I will bless you, and I'll give you all that you need until there's no more need. The only time in the scriptures where God tells us to put him to the test. So when we look at the Old Testament, I think it's pretty clear, I think it's pretty obvious in the Old Testament that the people who lived under the law, that they were commanded to tithe 10%. If they didn't tithe that 10%, uh, then they were directly disobeying God and they were robbing God. And, and God even told them, you know, test me, man, test me. If you give me 10%, then trust me, I will bless you. I will open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So there's not really any debate about that. Nobody's debating whether or not uh, the Jews in the Old Testament were commanded uh, to tithe 10%. Um, but when things start to get a little more tricky is when we take a look at the New Testament. As the truth of the matter is there's no command in the New Testament that states we are to tithe 10%. The closest thing that we have to that is found in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. This is uh, in the midst of Jesus, um, you know, really bringing it to the scribes and the Pharisees. 
It's known um, as uh, the seven woes as Jesus. He's calling them out. He's calling them out for their hypocrisy, the, the, the scribes and these Pharisees. And so Jesus says in chapter 23, verse 23 of the book of Matthew, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So here Jesus, he, he approaches the scribes and the Pharisees, and he's really laying it on them. He's saying, you guys are hypocrites. You guys are hypocrites. You tie 10% of what you have, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law. You neglect justice, you, you neglect mercy, and you neglect faithfulness. And so Jesus says, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So Jesus is saying, you ought to have tithed 10%. You, you ought to have done it. But on top of that, you should not have neglected the weightier matters of the law, like justice and mercy and faithfulness. And so when I scour uh, the New Testament, this is the closest thing that we have to a command to, to tie 10%. As Jesus, he's talking to these Pharisees, these scribes, and he says, yeah, you guys ought to have done that. You ought to have tied that 10%. But again, uh, I, I don't really think uh, that Jesus here, he's commanding um, them to do so. But he's just saying, yeah, you ought to. Kind of uh, how I read it, how I perceive it, interpret it, kind of suggesting it. That, yeah, that's a good thing that you guys are doing. Keep it up. But while you're doing that, don't neglect the matters of justice and mercy and faithfulness. And you know, so uh, kind of what I get from this idea uh, of Jesus um, is that, well, Jesus himself states that he didn't come to abolish the law. He didn't come to abolish the rule uh, of tithing and no sexual immorality and not worshiping these foreign gods and these foreign laws. He didn't come to abolish that. Jesus came and he came to fulfill that as that's the foundation. The Old Testament is the foundation. And that foundation is fulfilled through Jesus and his message and the writers of the New Testament. And so kind of what I perceive here is that the legality of 10% may no longer be in place, but the principle of giving has gone nowhere. It's gone nowhere. Jesus says you ought to have done these things. You ought to have tied these 10%. And Paul kind of echoes this sentiment in the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verses uh, 1 through 2, Paul here, he's writing to uh, the church in Corinth, and Paul writes, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. So Paul here is talking about the collecting of the church, the collecting of the saints. And Paul says that you are to set aside every week something uh, to store it up, to store it up within the church. And so Paul here, he's commanding the church to give. He's commanding the church to set aside some of the possessions, some of the money that they have, and, and put it together in the collection of the saints. Now, you notice Paul here, he didn't say set aside 10% uh, of your possessions, 10% of your money, but he just said set away some of the things each and every week, set away some of your things as we provide the collection for the saints. 
And finally, we read in uh, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, Paul again writing to the church in Corinth. And Paul, um, Paul, read, or Paul writes, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So here again, uh, we, uh, we get this sentiment that this idea, this principle of giving, it's gone nowhere. We, I mean, we, we didn't abolish this law of tithing 10%, but rather Jesus has come and he's come to fulfill the law. He's fulfilled this principle of giving. And Paul says that if you sow sparingly, if you give sparingly, then guess what? You're going to reap sparingly. On the other hand, if you sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. If you give a lot, you're going to get a lot. If you give a little, you're going to get a little in life. And Paul says, give as he has, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So again, I get this idea that uh, we aren't necessarily held uh, to this exact standard of 10%, but here Paul tells us that we are all to give what we have decided in our own hearts. Whatever that may be, whatever you have decided in your heart to give to God, that is what you are to give to God. And not under reluctance, not under compulsion, but do it with a cheerful heart. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. And so we take a look at the scriptures. I see in the, in the Old Testament that the Israelites, they were commanded to tithe. That's obvious. Nobody's going to debate that. God told them to test them with their giving. If you give to God, then he will bless you. Now, when we transition to the New Testament, we realize that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill the law. And interestingly enough, not found in the New Testament are we commanded to tithe that 10%, give that 10%. And so some may make the point that we're no longer under this command to tithe 10%. I'm going to tell you that a lot of people, some Christians, still think that we are called to abide by uh, this 10%. But Jesus said we ought to give. We, we, we ought to give. Again, what I want you guys to all understand, this principle of giving has gone nowhere. I don't want to focus on the amount this morning. I don't want to focus on the percent this morning. What I want to focus on is the act of giving. The act of giving. Because in the Old Testament, the Israelites, they were commanded to give back to God. And in the New Testament, here today in the 21st century, we know without a doubt that we are commanded to give back to God. And so my focus this morning is not on the amount. My focus this morning is on our obedience to that call, to that command, to give back to God. Because ultimately, everything belongs to God in the first place. He is the owner. We are just the manager, or we are just the steward of his property, of anything on this earth. And we are commanded. We are commanded to give it back to God. Paul says, each one of you, on an individual level, each one of you must decide within your own heart how much you are going to give to God. 
And when you decide that, when you decide that in your heart, how much you're going to give to God, then it's a time to act. And then it's a time to go through with that. And don't do it under compulsion. Don't do it under reluctance. God doesn't like that. God wants you to give with a cheerful heart. It's truly a joy to give. We all love uh, exchanging, or a lot of us, we enjoy exchanging gifts on our birthdays or Christmas, and it's a, it's a joy to receive gifts, but a lot of people will have the testimony that's even more of a joy to give gifts. I especially think of parents and, and, and giving gifts to their children, or, or, or children giving gifts to their mothers on Mother's Day. It's truly a joy. And let me tell you, it's a joy to give back to God. It is a true joy. When you do that, God will bless you. He will bless you. If you sow a little bit, if you give a little bit, then you're only going to get a little in return. But when you give a lot, let me tell you, God is going to bless you. One way or another, God will bless you. We cannot serve both God and money. Truth of the matter is we will either love our money or we will love God with our money. You can't have both. You can't have both. You can't love money and love God at the same time. We'll either worship our money or we will worship God with our money. As giving back to God is a great way to give him our love, to give him our worship. One of the five uh, love languages is giving and receiving gifts. It's one of the five ways in which we can express our love to God is by giving back to him. It's all about love. It's all about being grateful for all that God has blessed us with and giving it back to him. And so today I encourage you all to seriously reflect. Reflect in your lives Spend that alone time with God and sit down and open that dialogue with God and ask God, how much am I going to give back to you? You know, some of you guys you might say 10%. You know, that's, that's a, a, a general, that's, that's a great principle to live by. That's a principle um, that Jamie and I live with. But some of you guys, maybe you start with 5%. Maybe you start with $20 every week. I don't know. I don't care. The amount is not important to me. The amount is not important to me. What's important to me, that you are obeying your command to cheerfully give back to God, the God who has given you, who has blessed you with everything, every single thing that you have today. Now, some of us, when we have this realization, we think 10%, that's it. We think God has blessed us with so much more. And I know a lot of people... who want to give back to God even more than that 10%. And if that's you, kudos to you. But again, the amount is is not important to us this morning. What's important is that if you want to be a part of God's church, we are all commanded to give back to him. And I love it when God says, put me to the test. Put me to the test. If you give back to me, I will bless you. I will open up the heavens and you will no longer have any need. (laughs) That's the God that you and I serve today in the 21st century. And he is a good, good God. And we need to show him our love by regularly giving back 
to him. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for all that you do for us. I thank you for your love that you poured out for us on a daily basis, the love that you poured out for us on the cross and laid your son down for us. Father, I pray that each and every one of us, we, we have that drive to give the love that you show us and we reflect it back to you and we give you our love through our gifts, we're giving back to you. Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you have given us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.